Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Maria, and with me today, my trusty co-host, Gianna Whitfer. And today we are so excited to be joined by Ashish Rajan, one of the original CISO friends of the society. I think uh, probably one of our first 10 or so supporters, and we are so excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So I have no idea how to start introducing you because you do a shit ton of stuff, Ashish. How do you find time to do all of these things? You are producer and host of Cloud Security Podcast. You are head of security and compliance at PageUp. You are cloud security management course instructor at SANS Institute. You freelance at IANS as a faculty. You're a trainer. You are part of the AWS community. You're one of the builders. You founded DevSecOps Melbourne Meetup. And you are the founder at Cybersecurity for Startups. This is insane. Tell us why and how this all started. (laughs) Sure. I think maybe the best way to start this is going all the way back. So someone helped me out get into cybersecurity once. And that was the power of the community for me. And I've always been a huge believer of cybersecurity community to help others find the same kind of experience that I had. I think this is my way of recreating that for probably a future younger Ashish somewhere, or maybe a male, female, doesn't really matter. But I think it's just helping the next generation come up. I think a lot of people say about this. One of the ways that I found to do this was using community, like having meetups, having these podcasts and conversation with people like yourself, Gianna and Maria. I think it's definitely one way. It's funny. I was reading a book called Sapiens. If anyone has heard that book, they know about why we as homo sapiens survived, which is because we could communicate and we could just flourish as a society by building communities. So that's at the core of what we are as humans. And I'm just trying to build that core for the cybersecurity community. That's amazing. And that's super noble. And I know that you do a great deal out there for advocating for more women in the space. And that's just so admirable. I love that. Thanks. So let's get into it. Let's dive right in. Recently, you were in London for an event. Tell us a little bit. And then I most mostly want you to tell us about that setup that you had at that hotel, which was pretty kick-ass. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So the London gig was basically, there were two things that were going on. The conversation started with, we should surprise my parents on their 40th wedding anniversary. That was the original intent. And then my co-producer said, actually, should we just take the podcast on the road while we're there anyways, considering we actually have a massive audience in, uh, in London. So it the whole thing took exactly a week to plan. And I think it was really fascinating that we just announced the meetup with the DevSecOps London group over there. And yeah, we had about 120 people turn up for that event. That was great. So I still had to do my live stream, considering I've committed myself for three years for doing a live stream around a certain time, I guess for the audience that I have helped out all these years and the community that I'm helping out. So yeah, that was kind of like my hack way. I was kind of, I actually, funny enough, that is not the whole setup. I had the whole lights and everything as well in the bag. 
And I'm like, this is going to be really intense. I don't know how am I going to find so many plugs to put all of those in. It's very different when you have your home set up and you have everything kind of done right. So someone had told me once the best light is a window light. So I found a window, got a good camera and got a mic and it seemed to work. I think I went back and looked at the recording as well. It seemed very, I mean, I think a lot of people felt that was from a minimal setup perspective. That was pretty good. As long as there's daytime and you have a window in front of you, I think you get to do a really great setup. So yes, the initial intent was to kind of surprise my parents in the 40th anniversary, 40th wedding anniversary, which I did. They were really happy with it. And then I did the cloud security meetup as well as, I guess the cloud security podcast went on road. So that was a live stream from London edition. That's what the uh, virtual setup was for. That's amazing. Happy anniversary, Mr. and Mrs. Rajan. I hope oh, they're thanks. listening. I'm sure they'll, uh, <laughs> when they hear it, and because then now they finally understand what I do. I'm not IT anymore. They understand <laughs> I do cybersecurity. So I'm pretty sure they'll get this now. So uh, love you, mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> My mom listens to our podcast. She listens oh, really? to every, yeah, she listens to every episode and she sends her critiques to me. Oh, so I, think, uh, I pass I that hello, on to hello, mommy. <laughs> And they're really good critiques too. She's like spot on. We're like, yeah, okay, got it. We're going to definitely do that. That is definitely the best kind of critique because we are all looking for improving and what's that next step. I think from that perspective, it's like, thank you, mommy. (laughs) All right. So let's get into something that happened pretty recently, which was this interesting commercial with Ryan Reynolds in it for 1Password. We know that you had an opinion on this. Can you talk us through... And we'll, of course, link to this commercial in the show notes, everybody, so that you guys can watch it first, too. But talk us through your opinion and the theory you had around this. Sure. First of all, I think it was a good ad for Ryan Reynolds. Probably, I don't think people got (laughs) what he was trying to say, apart from nighttime moisturizer, as well as like him being involved with a company, which, sorry, with a soccer team. I think that was the two kind of big takeaways. So when I watched that ad, I was like, oh my God, Ryan Reynolds is involved in cybersecurity. This is so cool. And I was kind of expecting him to talk more about, I guess, when you're trying to educate at such a massive level, you would think he would give some more value instead of just making a bit very high touch from a cybersecurity perspective. I mean, the whole video is titled cybersecurity, but the only thing cybersecurity was him asking questions around, have you used one password? If you haven't, oh, sucks. Just do nighttime moisturizer. That would be good enough. So (laughs) I thought at least for everyone else who kind of like me, has been trying to convince their parents to use better passwords. And it is really hard to convince parents to use, I guess, a strong password. And it's funny how openly they call out the password as well. I think I remember I was in a bank somewhere with my dad and he just like, yeah, my password is blah. And it, kind of like me, he has a loud voice. So I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, now I need to change it. I'm like, why do I need to change it? It is such a great password. <laughs> I'm like, but you do realize we're talking in a bank. And I don't know how many people are listening to this. Like, but no one's listening to us. No one cares. I'm like, no, no, no. You just don't know people who care. But anyway, it was like a whole thing. So I thought, why not use that video as a way to educate, maybe piggyback on the thing that Ryan Reynolds was trying to talk about, but give it a more cybersecurity value spin. So the video that I made was more around what he was really trying to talk about in terms of why should people care about using in password, especially people who are in, I guess, the social media world and use that for making money. Most of us use social media to connect with family. But the funniest thing is when you're on a highway somewhere on the road, there are speed limits. There are like, oh, sharp turn approaching, do this, do that. There's a lot of warning signs that you see on the road. 
but there are no warning signs on the internet. Like we have uh, my niece's nephews, my parents, people just go online and they can literally surf anything that they want, irrespective mm-hmm. of what kind of material it is. There is no like saying, hey, this is probably probably malicious. I think some browsers, some browsers are starting to do this. But there is no general information for, hey, that you should be careful about these. So this is my attempt at potentially informing people for why it's important to have the right kind of username password, maybe different ones if possible. That's where having a password manager maybe helps make sense. So that was kind of intent. Hopefully the message came across, at least the messages from the community that I got. Everyone seemed to think that, yep, this is definitely more valuable than Ryan Reynolds. I've been trying to get in touch with the Ryan Reynolds media team. If they actually hear this and they want to work with me, I would be more than happy to work with them. We'll definitely tag him on LinkedIn when we tease out the episode. Yeah, perfect. I'm sure he'll be delighted to hear that you think that his commercial was... So I think he'll be fine because the funny thing is, because he hates, uh, well, I don't think he hates Hugh Jackman, but the only other Aussie <laughs> he knows, Hugh Jackman. And I'm like, I kind of have this bit in the end where I hope he doesn't start hating me after this, like the other Aussie that I know. So it'll be really fun if he starts hating me after this. I get banned from social media. <laughs> So we will definitely link to your video as well. It was like a reply video in podcast notes here. And before we move on to what your actual job is, which is like being the head of security at PageUp, I guess what was so interesting about that commercial and how you're explaining it, Ashish, too, it's like for us that are in the field or adjacent to the field as marketers slash in the field as marketers, it's like, yeah, like where was all the details, right? This was like so high level. It was definitely for him to market the fact that he's an investor in one password and the soccer company, Mm -hmm. like all, all of his friends. Apparently, it turns out the whole Avengers team from Marvel, they're all investors in one password. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, man. We missed that one. Yeah. So including Pharrell Williams as well as an investor. Ooh, I bet he's happy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's like, he's like, I'm happy. I've got a password. (laughs) Password manager, one password. You can't do that. We're going to get a takedown request on our podcast. What are you talking about? Our listeners love my mom jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Ashish, so let's switch those gears fully to your, your CISO head of security role. One thing that us marketers always want to know about is the buying process firms and firms of different sizes and different industries and different teams and different accounts have different processes and it's all different. And depending on who you talk to, it's different for someone who's buying from an IT perspective versus a compliance perspective. Can you talk us through like how you usually vet vendors and how the process is for you as someone who buys cybersecurity products. It all starts with a problem. I can tell you this right now. Every CISO does deal with most of the problems that people talk about in the industry. And Mm -hmm. even though we have 25 plus problems to deal with in a a given day-to-day basis, we only get budget for one or two in reality. So we would love to do a lot of things. So a lot of the conversations in terms of thought process that we go through in our mind with the team that we work with is more around, okay, what is the priority for this particular year? And I think any salespeople listening to this will totally understand because this is technically part of the script as well. What's the priority for this year for you folks? What are you working towards this year? Because they all know this. They do know that, yes, I would like to buy the latest cloud tool. I would li- like to buy the latest password tool or anything else. I would love, definitely love to do it, but there's only so much budget and so much problems one team can deal with in a given day or even a given financial year. 
So the first thing that we normally kind of come around is, I guess, one is the problem that we're going to solve this year. The, the second one being, when are we going to get the budget approval for it? Am I in the middle of my cycle when I realize what the problem is? End of the financial year is usually a great time to kind of start planning for what do I need, which is great. But I'm one of those people who kind of try and identify problems and make a note of it. And I think it sounds like I'm a very planned person, but technically not. Like I normally am the person who's towards the end of the financial year. Oh my God, I had to do this. Like I've got these lists. Which one was important again? So it's great to build that list. But towards the end of the financial year, when you get there, like, oh my God, I should just like start this conversation back then. And then I'm left in this frenzy of reaching out to people and saying, hey, how much would you quote me for this? Or how much would you quote me for that? But I guess the experience is very similar for a lot of other CISOs as well, because in a day-to-day, you're finding so many fires. You're trying to understand, uh, not just like, you know, I wish buying products were the only thing that we were doing, then it would be so much more easier. But as you kind of go through the journey, so you've identified the problem, which one do you want to solve? Now you potentially have a quote as well. And then you kind of go through this battle with either the board or your CTO, CIO for how much is something worth spending for the company as well. The easier part is for me to just, ah, this makes total sense, but I have to convince the CTO. And then once you've done that, then you're convincing the board potentially for spending money on this as well. It's almost like a two month process, even after you know what you want, two, three months process, depending on the organization. Some organization, actually one of the organizations before, it used to take a lot longer because they would only have a board meeting once a quarter. And if you don't get the slot, because I don't know, the person before you went longer, then you didn't get the slot. So now you just wait for the next quarter. So there is that kind of thing as well. It almost sounds like from the outside that, oh, this person is taking way too long. But the reality of it is you can't get in front of the person who can give you the money to give you an audience with, or even get an audience with the people who actually you need to convince to get the money for it as well. And in the past, that has been one of the reasons why I've always gone, like I've put people like, hey man, I'm really interested. I would love to do this, but you just need to hold on with me. And no matter how much I tell them, when it comes to end of financial year, every salesperson is also on the tenterhooks at their end as well. They're like, oh, I want to close this this financial year. I'm like, I would love to. Uh, Yeah, I'm like, I would love to, but this is my dilemma at my end. I haven't been able to talk to the board to get the money for this. Anyway, this is kind of like the rough process once you get the board approval and it's smooth sailing after that. Hopefully you don't have to do some kind of procurement process, which has its own thing, depending on the kind of product you're going for. It's funny, I used to think when I was a graduate just coming out of university or college, people should just buy cybersecurity products and they just have it tomorrow. It doesn't happen. It's just like almost like an eight, nine month process. And no matter how many times you watch a YouTube video and how suddenly all your problems are solved because you used a tool, the reality is like it's an eight, nine month process to get to that point. So that's kind of what my experience has been in the past, I don't know, 15 years of just doing this. But yeah, hopefully that helps someone as well. Definitely. I mean, me and Maria buy products too. Not cybersecurity products, but we buy stuff too. And it's always a slog and a process unless... Once it's over a certain amount and you have to make a case and you have to have the vendor help you make the case, what can vendors do, Ashish, when they're helping you create a business case? Do you ask for things like that from vendors that you're trying to get in front of your CTO or CISO or the board in order to convince them to let you buy this product? Yeah, I definitely feel it's a collaborative effort, especially if I've landed on a 
product that I think would really be valuable for the organization. I think a few things that normally helps is if it's a new organization, if they have any references for people that they've gone for, and depending on the kind of data that's being ingested by the company, having some kind of security certification definitely helps. I mean, I am convinced with the idea, and this is after being a head of security or CISO, we kind of realize that, oh, it's not just about me because the processes that I started for everyone else to vet their vendors with, I have to go through that same process as well. Then I have to go through the process of security review, depending on the kind of data they're sucking in. Say if they're taking sensitive information like first name, last name, email address, maybe even home address, and you're like, okay, this is going to go through a lot more scrutiny than something which was just using and password and doesn't use anything else. It's just me getting some analytics. And that definitely is something that I've worked with vendors on where they have been kind enough to show references. Some of the specific use cases we talk about, I think that's been really helpful. Some of the vendors that I worked with, they had worked with me on building up three to four use cases that explains exactly the problem that I'm trying to solve and whether they can solve it. This does two things, at least for me personally. It validates that the product can work and also validates that I can show to someone else and say, hey, this is how we can use this and this is how we can solve the problem. And there is a whole conversation around how quickly we can do this as well, which is usually quite helpful in terms of most conversations that I have these days. And I'm really happy with this as well, where the demo does not take more than like a couple of hours or an hour to set up. Within an hour, you have things, this thing set up and you're like, wow, like, uh, compared to where it used to be earlier, where I had to assign a person, someone is basically working on this for, I don't know, weeks before a proof of concept can be done. From that perspective, I feel definitely working with a vendor definitely helps for building a use case, which you can not just present to your team, but also to the CIO, the board, and in case they ever want detail, the board would want that detail. But the second one being the time to value that is definitely a great thing that I've seen recently. And the, the vendors, most of the vendors that I've worked with have been really effective in that space. So I just love the fact that people are able to do this these days. When you look at these vendors, are you looking at a lot of SaaS vendors? Yeah, I think we definitely are. Because we are primarily building cloud, and I'd imagine most companies that I would work in the future also would be cloud vendors, considering I run cloud security podcasts, and that's my expertise in. <laughs> I definitely feel most of my future companies would still be hosted in cloud. So a SaaS model would definitely make sense. However, what I would call out is if I were to go to a product company, which is, say, I don't know, some kind of a bank or fintech or one of those ones, then I'd think my stand might change because over there you probably want something which is very much in your domain hosted by you. So outside of that, there's a lot more people open to the idea of using a SaaS as an offering because the time to value is really quick. And from an implementation perspective, it just, it doesn't really take a long time for you to get show value. Awesome. Yeah. It would be a bummer if you move somewhere and then you had to change your podcast name to the on-prem security yeah. podcast. I know. It's like, be, I'm like, what? Am I ready to call it a fintech podcast? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, maybe if they give me a lot of money, maybe that might change. <laughs> <laughs> the private cloud podcast. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, what do you want to call me? Email me the details. I'll just make the changes in the podcast in tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has their price. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's funny, even though I joke about this, but everyone thought Twitter doesn't have a price as well. Twitter is like holds values above everything else. 
Did you say 63 billion? Oh, okay. Like, you know, I had my checkbook ready. I don't even know why we're discussing this. We should just like sign it and we'll walk away from this. So I, <laughs> I, know, I, I don't think like I've reached weekly. my number yet, but it'll be really interesting if there's a number for that for my podcast. I technically call it my little baby. So it'll be really interesting if I have a number for my baby. Well, you can always have a second baby too. Uh, you can always you know have what? another Actually, podcast, right? What are you thinking? Is that an offer coming in? Is that, it sounds like yeah, it's an offer coming in. We're thinking of acquiring you. As yeah, I've got a second podcast <laughs> with Gianna and Maria. It's going to be really interesting. It'll be all fun. <laughs> we just talk about Ryan Reynolds all day on the podcast. <laughs> That's it. Talk about <laughs> Ryan Reynolds and his nighttime moisturizer routine. Doesn't he also have like an alcohol company? Yeah, actually, he sold like, the aviation gin. Oh, I don't know, for a bazillion dollars or something. He's smart. I think he's definitely a great marketing person. I did not know this when I was researching for that video in terms of where else he's invested. So I found out he's sold his aviation gin, and the marketing company or the media and creative agency that he runs is a branch that was taken out of his production company, which he was using for Deadpool or whatever. So he basically took it out, sold it, and became an active member in it. So he's the creative head for it, but he's also the owner for it. He still made money by selling it. He's an employee. If you go to his LinkedIn page of the company, it just basically says that this is where Ryan Reynolds make things for fun. I mean, <sighs> he's, at this point, he doesn't really care. He's just making stuff that he likes. That's why he gives it his taste. And he said, oh, people are going to connect to it. And people do connect to it. A lot of people do love it. I mean, if you look at the number of views on that thing, it's like over 1.2 million views on that. But I really wish he actually um, spoke about more than Nighttime Moisturizer as to why people should care about 1Password. Even if it was just an ad for 1Password, hey, this is why I should care about it. That never came across. That was more Ryan Reynolds putting a spin on his way of, hey, this is pretty funny. Instead of, this is why I want people to use my product. But I'm yeah. sure he'll come around when he hears his podcast. I know he will. We'll have him on with you on the next episode. And that would be awesome. <laughs> and now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. Aside from Ryan Reynolds, who else does good marketing in the cyber vendor space, in your opinion? What is or who? Like, what other companies are oh, doing? Right. Okay. Like who? good uh, marketing. This is going to be like picking the best baby Fruit. kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fruit. Like there you go. Maria is happy now. No, I would probably say I think folks who are like I mean I definitely would count the cybersecurity marketing society in there. Because nice. I definitely feel you folks are doing, and I'm being genuinely honest, right? Because I think the fact that before this call started, we were talking about video audio. So you guys have already thought about that. We did the whole teaser thing as well. I don't know how many people are giving that kind of freedom to their own cybersecurity. And I think that this is probably the highlight for, hey, if you actually allow the marketing team to have a bit more freedom, and I don't know how this works. Me looking at this from the outside, I feel like there's a lot more potential in the space for people to 
do a lot more than what they're being allowed to do. I guess that makes sense. And it's more on the fact that, oh, we can have a teaser. Because this is technically what we have spoken about so far is still value for people, right? And if they decide to sign up for and subscribe to the podcast that you have running, or they might just leave a review or rating, which I would definitely encourage them to do for this. Because I think it definitely means a lot for every podcast person out there. I would definitely encourage them to, while they're listening, they could just start it on Spotify or just drop a review or a rating as well. I'm sure it means a lot for both of you to spending hours on this outside of your work. And I feel the true marketing is where you're just giving value and someone buying the product is literally just a byproduct of this because you've given so much value. It doesn't make sense for the person to not buy the product. I think that's what you folks are trying to do over here. So I think marketing like that and people allowing others to do more of this is kind of where the secret sauce would be. You really, you really nailed it. I think that is probably one of the biggest pain points for cyber marketers is just not having the ability to branch out and be themselves and be creative and we're yeah, putting I mean, isn't that why, we, why people hire marketing teams as well? Because they want to be creative because they can't be creative themselves and they hire creative people but put shackles on them. And like, mm-hmm. well, technically you wanted me to be creative but at the same time, you want me to do what again? Yeah. <laughs> you want me to do what the investor said is good marketing or what the board member said is a good that's, strategy That's exactly right. And I think, I mean, I definitely feel that's why my massive support of you folks from the beginning, because I definitely feel there's a lot more talent here than we are otherwise allowed to see. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this actually becomes in like the next six or seven years as well. So Ashish, in terms of kind of like, well, selfishly going back into you as a security practitioner and essentially as someone who's a budget holder at the end of the day, when you go into a new job, how likely are you to bring your favorite tools over? And what does that process look like? I probably would say a right tool for the right job. Because what I have found, so I started this current role two years ago. And unfortunately, I don't think I've bought any of the previous tools into this company because this was a complete new stack of mm-hmm. things that I was working on that the older products could not work on. So I definitely find it's always easier if you have the same problem in an organization, you can always bring back the same tool because you know exactly, like you don't have to reach out on the website saying, hey, can someone give me a call? It's more like you just call the person you have dealt with directly and that kind of happens. So I definitely feel if anyone has had a good experience from the product, and I mean experience not just in the context of how smoothly the sales went, but the customer success that happened after that as well, were there regular touch points? I think there are only a handful of people, no matter how big they are, who are doing a great job in the whole customer success aspect of it. Like I don't directly get to work with the product these days, but I get to hear the experience that my team is having with the products. And when they talk about frustration and I'm like looking, going, oh, I got this product in and now they're frustrated by it. It sounds like it would do the job. It is going to do the job, but when you need support, there's no one's there. So things like that are definitely crucial because I have had to not accept renewal of a product because there was just no support. I never heard back from anyone from that company for a whole year. And you, I mean, and this is not you're spending like a hundred dollars or something, right? When you spend thousands of dollars on a company, and it could be the fact that it was a small company to begin with, they're trying to focus on growth. You may try and be a bit more patient, but beyond a certain point, you're like, okay, I've definitely paid a lot more money for this than just a hundred dollar, two hundred dollar that I don't expect anything back. So the reality of it is no matter how great the product is, if you don't complete the loop of ongoingly looking after people who have signed up, who have believed in you, I definitely feel that is one pace that I would not go back to them. 
unfortunately, that's the reality of it. And I'm pretty sure most of the people, I mean, we do this in general life as well. If you buy, I don't know, a mic or whatever, right? I think, and they don't give you any kind of support, you would not go back to them, no matter how amazing it is. That's just human, I mean, human nature. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's horrendous. I think we heard something similar about how satisfied your team or how bought in your team is would yeah. influence you signing that check at the end of the day in our recent Ask a CISO, your marketing questions. I don't know if you saw yeah. that. Actually, that is one of the reasons I don't buy the products. So. <laughs> there you go. I should definitely, definitely recommend people should uh, check it out. But I definitely find the extension of a team and the other party that's getting a lot more voice is the developer community in the organization. They're also getting a lot more voice in, I'm sure you would have heard about the whole PLG side, like the product-led growth side. Mm-hmm. That is definitely getting, I think most of the companies that I'm talking to, they're all talking about the fact that like the VCs are not finding them anymore if they don't have PLG. Like they're always asking, what's your PLG strategy? What's your PLG strategy? It's already happening. So it's only a matter of time before companies have to up their game for, hey, how do we convince the developers? Because ultimately, the security team may be responding to a threat, but to resolve that problem, you need to talk to someone on the other side of the business. And having them on board is quite crucial. So it'll be really interesting as to if people have already started recognizing that PLG is happening and people want to know more about how you increasing the adoption of your product, it'll definitely make things like these stand out even more. That is so interesting. And it's interesting that you bring up PLG. Let's expand on that just a little bit. We have a few minutes. What is that sort of the checklist of what makes a security product eligible for a PLG growth strategy? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not an expert. I'll probably share what I have seen in the industry and what I have heard from other people. So one of the examples that keep coming up in front of me is a company called Sneak, Mm S-N-Y-K. Those guys are probably looked at as the first ones to make a mark in the whole PLG space. They got the developer. I actually funny, I spoke to one of the co-founders as well. They spoke about the fact that even before they went for a cybersecurity conference, they started going for developer conferences. They were doing mm-hmm. a developer conference for years before they went to a cybersecurity conference. But if you ask any cybersecurity company today, they all went to cybersecurity conferences first. They never went for a developer conference. The developer conference comes in much later. Once you've established yourself, and so th- these folks took a gamble and went straight for the opposite direction first. Maybe that's one of the reasons why Sneak saw a huge success. But I definitely find the ease of adoption and the uh, Time to value are two things that make it really crucial for a PLG strategy to success. And I think I'm going to use a sneak example here. They have a massive developer adoption. Like in my organization, at the moment, we use sneak and we had people who were just able to use it straight away because it was already in their workflow. It was not something that, hey, there is this amazing dashboard that you can go on and then you would be able to see all these amazing things. It's kind of like if I were to use a marketing example as well, if you go to Salesforce for a lead, but then you kind of have to understand how was this linked from the website, you kind of have to go to another Google Analytics to understand, oh, is this lead because of this particular click or which one? It's kind of like that, where if it was already all on Google Analytics, it'll be amazing. Or if it was already on Salesforce, it would be amazing. It's the same kind of thing with PLG space as well. It's about going to where your audience is and not having a plug for where these people are going to be hanging out, asking them to go around and say, hey, can you go to this separate thing and somehow correlate these two completely different things into this one thing and it'll be great. We'll all just fix security. 
I'm like, it uh, <laughs> doesn't work like that because they're not being paid to be security people. We are. And we're expecting them to come to, no, no, this is the product we use. You should come over to our site. And I think to point that kind of is to lay down the point of the adoption curve where you have mm-hmm. to find how do you get in line with the existing workflow of a developer that would definitely be a massive plus for a PLG strategy in my mind. The second one being time to value. Once you have got there, is it going to take, I don't know, one week for them to get the result or is it going to be a few seconds for them to get the results? No developer is going to spend more than an hour waiting for this result to appear from, I don't know where, someone just wakes up on the other side of the world. So <laughs> yeah, those two are definitely major features that I feel would definitely call out the fact, oh, this is a great PLG strategy. Wow, some gold advice right there. Thank you, Ashish. And also, really nice to hear because the first conference that I decided to sponsor at Farouk was actually a developer conference. So uh, it's actually good to hear that from you. Yeah, I did not know this, but the more I talk to people, the more I realize, actually, if that is the intended audience who's going to fix or use it, they probably should be the first ones to critique it as well. So true. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Ashish, Gianna and I, at the end of each episode, we play a game. Okay. And essentially what we try to do is guess what you would be doing for a career if you weren't in cybersecurity today or if you weren't a CISO today. Cool. Um, And we're not going to count podcast host and producer because he's already that. Yeah. What other secret trades do you have that we shouldn't count in this game? Uh, I don't think we should count teacher or professor because he's right. already a teacher professor. That's right. Perfect. Men's fashion, travel, food. Wait, no, don't tell fashion. us. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, no, no. no. I'm, I'm not giving you my profession. I'm just saying it's like those are my some of my interests. Oh, you're cheating okay. on our behalf, though. Like, we're okay, gonna I'm going to take it because you know what? This is going to help me win because I never win at this game. Gianna always wins. <laughs> Okay. So thank you, Ashish, for slipping me that so, little bit of uh, DM. So Maria, you go first then, because I can't copy what you say. <laughs> okay. Ashish, you would be personal stylist to the elite IT security community globally. <laughs> That's actually funny enough that I did think of that one day. Well, I oh, did. Like, if you would have spoken to me four years ago, that is exactly what I was trying to think of. So you're on the money, close to money there. So not that you'll be wrong, Gianna, but just saying that was very, very close to what actually I had in mind for myself. Good. I mean, no offense, community. They do need a little fashion help. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious to hear what Gianna's one as well. What's your thoughts? So I was going to say like a designer of clothes. I think it's too close to what Maria is saying. So I'm going to instead say that you would work in around some sort of luxury travel experience company. Mm. So like yachting or like really cool jets. And you would, I don't know what the heck, you wouldn't be like someone handing out drinks. You'd be the one <laughs> receiving drinks. Is that I'll a job? I'd be the poster boy. Yeah, you'd be the influencer. You'd be a travel influencer. I appreciate that. And uh, there is definitely some work in that space already being done. Actually, you probably should have mentioned it already. So outside of all of that, I create content for men's fashion, food and travel as well. Oh, we didn't see that on your LinkedIn profile. Because that's not related to LinkedIn. You know, marketing 101, like what's the right screen for the right audience? Oh, okay. Ah, So you have an Instagram. Yeah, so I think I've got an Instagram account called The Peacock in the Room. Ah. We're going to link to that in the show notes. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you can totally do that as well. I started this again because I was on a different one called Hashish.Rajan, which I stopped using because I like to challenge myself and completely turn off his social media account and see how much time it takes for me to start from scratch. So my new account at the moment is Peacocking the Room. That's insane. Wow. Do you sell the old accounts? You know you can do that. Uh, no, I don't sell the old accounts. No, I just leave them there. I think it's just an ex- interesting experiment that I come across. So in fact, if you search on LinkedIn, there's another profile of me. What? It's called Hashish Rajan. <laughs> I just find that whole concept quite fascinating because social media drives so much of our day-to-day that we just don't realize. But having an understanding of it is something that I am fascinated by. It's like asking a watchmaker, how does a watch movement work? And like, it's like that kind of a thing for me. So I normally look at this as an experiment and some of it clicks, some of it doesn't click. Like my wife and I started a fitness one when we were in the middle of lockdown. It was still workout, but we stopped posting there for a while. It was called When Not Traveling and Tasting because my wife has an account called Travel and Taste, which is for our food blog as well as for our travel logs. But yeah, I think we're a couple who are totally into the whole content space, like knee deep into it. Oh my gosh, we need another episode just to cover this you part tell of your life. Sure, you I tell- would be happy to. I mean, you know what? This is what the RSA meetup is. Everyone who's listening in, we can all form a circle, have a bonfire. I mean, I don't know if the middle of a hotel bonfire, but like somewhere which is safe for bonfire and, and talk about all of this. Totally. You're going to have to tell us about the algorithm because you're like probably the most knowledgeable person about this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would say I'm the most knowledgeable. I'll probably say this. And I think the funny thing is, it's kind of like one of the secrets for getting abs is everyone knows the secret to get abs, but no one has them. It's the same thing with algorithm as well. Everyone knows what it takes to become popular on social media, which is just to provide value and not expect anything back. And it happens. But it takes two, three years, sometimes even longer. But people don't have the patience for it because life goes on and... I don't know, I changed jobs and I, then I, I moved to another job. It's funny, I don't know who was I talking to. I think we were talking to a, a company with a podcast and they were talking about sponsoring us. And somehow the conversation went into the whole bigger space for long-term sponsorship. And it was really interesting. My wife and I listed out all the social media accounts I had. I think about 20, 25 accounts. And it was insane. Like I thought like, wow, I didn't realize I had so many. Because I now I'm on this new thing called Hi-Ho. Have you heard of it? No. So Hi-Ho is a video platform where you can ask questions. It's all driven by people asking questions. So I'm asking a question. I start a quote-unquote thread where I ask a question and both of you can respond with, hey, this is what my answer would be. Or any kind of a follow-up question, I can respond to that. It's literally a thread of video, the question and answer. Is the security community in that? Because, you know, I'll be switching my ad strategy uh, to that. Right no, now. Yeah, it's very new. It's literally new to the point that the founder himself is starting threads in there. So I, oh, I came wow. across it like six months ago, but it looked really interesting for what they're trying to create there. I mean, if you think from an ad perspective as well, video is something that's more engaging for people. They're definitely trying to do something like, oh, what can this be? So I'm just curious as to what this could be. So there are accounts like that that I have just hanging around in different places, things that have shut down since then. I follow Gary Vee quite a bit, and he kind of would drop these things here and there, like, hey, I'm using this social media. I'm like, what the hell is this? There's another one that I came across recently called True Social, which is another one. Like, there's so many social media accounts that are popular, but they have their own pockets. So. My hope is I can understand this space enough that I can tell other people about this is what works. And as I was using the abs example, 
the simple truth that I've found so far is just that if you provide value with no intent, and as you kind of keep improving slowly as you go forward, what you realize is, oh, every little critique that you get would help you improve that much more. Then people start asking you for eventually. So it took me six months on the podcast to kind of get to a point where people started asking, hey, can you do this topic? I would literally love to hear about this. Can you get someone to talk about this? Particular? So it took six months. And I think that was still pretty quick. But sometimes it takes a whole year That's to true. kind of have someone have the confidence to, because, you know, a lot of us consume content. Everyone consumes content either on Instagram, LinkedIn, somewhere. But we're not actively sitting and commenting on every little thing over there. It takes a lot for someone to comment on something. 100%. So, and being patient with that particular app, because once you have that, that is true engagement. Someone is genuinely interested in what you're trying to do. So that's yeah. my secret, but hopefully that helps. But unfortunately, it's not a hidden gem. Everyone knows about this. It's just that a lot of us have a lot of changing priorities because of the jobs we do sometimes. Yes. So that makes it really hard. That's the honest reality of it. I mean, unlike we are personal stuff, which is why I keep creating more of them because I'm like, oh, I'm bored with that. Now I'm going to go something else. So. <laughs> Wish there was more hours in the day. Well, you know, at the end of every episode also, we also ask our guests, you know, where can people find you if they want to reach out? But you know what, everyone, find every social media platform out there. You'll find Ashish there. Just look for his name. <laughs> I think I'm grateful because I'm at that point where I can just tell people to Google me and they'll just come up. Love I think it. I can't ever tell social media accounts anymore. I just tell people to just Google me and I just come up. Even though I'm sure Ashish is a very common Indian name, but I've taken over all of them now. So there, there <laughs> I think you I go. Me, you'll find me. The one and only. Thank you the, so much, Ashish, for joining us today. This was such a good conversation. I can't wait for the episode to come out and for everyone to listen. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Gianna. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. See you. 